Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of our lives today as we help make the scriptures part of yours. And we look forward to you spending the next 20 or 25 minutes with us. And us today refers not to me and Mike Knox, but to myself and a guest contributor. I am joined by Vincent Kember from Ottawa. Vince, just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for inviting me. Um, not much to say. I'm a teacher and an artist living in Ottawa, like you said, and I'm a father to three young kids and a frequent listener of the Practicology podcast. So thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening and thanks for having something to share with us on the podcast today as well. And I know that what you're going to talk about is a very valuable subject, one that many have found the pandemic to be a threat towards preserving, and that is our unity. What is it, uh, Vince, that has got you thinking about this subject lately in particular? Well, as you mentioned, the pandemic has definitely been in the background of my thoughts. Like Situations like this affect us all in different ways. There's a lot of potential for disagreement and friction. But actually, the subject arose for me as I followed the thread of unity through the whole Bible, through the scripture, and noticed how much it was a key part of God's plan right from the beginning. So today, I'm hoping we can try to define what biblical unity is, particularly in the context of the church. We want to look at that church context and also the instructive examples that we get from the early church as it's described in the Acts and in the epistles. Sounds fantastic. Why don't you dive right in by defining unity for us? Okay, so if we start with the, def the definition of unity. So unity is what happens when a group of individuals are drawn together towards something. Could be a cause, an interest, even a common trial. There's many things in the world that bind people together. Clubs, fraternities, Facebook groups, and more. These are the places where people unite around something. Christian unity is similar in that we too have a center, Jesus Christ. He has drawn us to himself and in the process bound us to one another. What is unique is the depth of that union. So we are now brothers and sisters. There's, there's an intimacy there. The seriousness of that union. So it's not a big deal if you leave a book club, but dissension among Christians is extremely serious to God. The scope of the union. So all human boundary markers are dissolved, as we'll see later on. Everyone is eligible to be included. And of course, the center of that union Christ himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Yeah, well, I'm glad, Vince, that you have put Christ at the center of the unity discussion right at the outset of our podcast today. Something else I like about our subject today is that according to Ephesians 4, which I suspect you'll bring us to in due time in your material, God has created the unity we have in Christ. We're charged there in Ephesians 4 to try and maintain the unity of the Spirit, but the unity we share is a divine creation. I'm thinking of Ephesians 2 also. Christ has reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. That's right. And I want to start with the body metaphor as well, but I'd like us to see it in 1 Corinthians 12. So just reading that passage from verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
So the body metaphor, as the chapter continues, is all about the complex interaction of diversity and unity in creating one functioning whole. So think about those two dimensions. So the unity, the body is one. Each part's significance comes from its contribution to the whole. When one member is hurt, the whole body hurts. It moves as one. Its aim and purpose is unified. Each member receives its instructions from one will that moves them all, a control center. So if you want to call that the brain or the will, in this case, Christ, the head of the church. So that's the unity side, but then you have the diversity side as well. Each part is different. They're different in their function, different in their level of visibility, different in their limitations, different in the specific contribution or skill that each one brings. So that is a helpful um, metaphor when it comes to thinking about unity. I want to think about two things that unity is not as we try to define unity. So first of all, unity is not uniformity or it is not forced conformity. So sometimes we mistake unity for conformity, conforming to a narrow mold so that everyone is actually the same. I would argue that in that case, we have a version of unity that might look great on the outside, but actually misses the point and the power of true unity. I hear you, and I can think of a couple of examples of that kind of thinking, but I would like you to tease that out a little bit further for us, Vince, because obviously you're not saying it's wrong for you and I each to choose to wear a blue tie on Sunday, but I think you're saying if we teach that something like that is the basis of our unity, we're missing the point and the power of true unity. But why is that? Why why can't that conformity be part of our unity? Well, if you think of a workplace, let's just say Walmart for fun, you can have everyone wearing the same uniform, using the rehearsed greetings, circling the survey on everyone's receipt, and it looks like a tightly running ship. But under the surface, there could be all kinds of animosity, disagreement, and dysfunction. So that's clearly not unity. But you've actually asked a hard question. Why can't we have the love and the common vision kind of unity, but just tack on the uniforms as well? I guess the short answer might be that the power and the testimony that comes from our unity in Christ is amplified when those differences, the things the world cares about and divides over, when those differences still exist, but are transcended by our common center, Christ himself. So biblical unity brings together a diversity and without eradicating or ignoring those differences, gathers them to a common center and a common calling, a shared mission. When it comes to conformity, we're told not to conform to some things. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world. In 1 Peter 1 and 14, not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But sometimes we can also be conformed to someone else's version of what a Christian should be, how they should look, talk, dress, what exactly they should and shouldn't do. The early churches struggled with this, and you'll find Paul constantly dealing with it in his letters to those churches. Yeah, good answer, Vince. Good points, listeners. I want you to think about that a little more, what uh, Vincent has just said there, and how our unity in Christ can be amplified when it triumphs despite some div- uh, despite some differences that still exist. I think of a book I read years ago, John Piper's book on racism actually called Bloodlines, makes some really good points on this. Not surprisingly, it has a, a hefty, unhelpful dose of unnecessary Calvinism, but he makes the point that diverse unity 
is more glorious than the unity of sameness. He uses the analogy of a choir. Uh, he says, more depth of beauty is felt from a choir that sings in parts than from a choir that sings only in union. Unity in diversity. Think about harmony added as, as well in singing. Unity in diversity is more beautiful and more powerful than the unity of uni uniformity. And when there's a diversity of followers, but still united, that actually is pointing to the strength of the leader. And our Lord Jesus is certainly a great leader. One of the Examples I know you're going to come to again, Vince's Jew-Gentile relationships. That was such a huge issue in the early days of the church. It comes up so frequently in the New Testament. And I think one of the reasons God has inscripturated so much detail about that struggle, even though we don't really face a Jew-Gentile struggle today, but he's saying if these Christians from such diverse backgrounds as devout Jews and first century pagan polytheistic Gentiles, if they could be united then brothers and sisters in the 21st century, we can also be united. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. And as a musician, I appreciate your your analogy there to, or Piper's analogy, at least to the uh, to the harmony. I think that's helpful. What you're saying here too about the Jews and, and these polytheistic Gentiles getting along, um, that's important. Paul's solution to the conflict was not to get the Gentiles to conform to the external code of Mosaic law, nor was it to force the Jewish believers to abandon all their scruples and sensitivities. So I just want to humbly suggest that real unity goes far beyond external conformity and actually liberates us from this. So that was one of the things unity is not. The second is that unity is not just peaceful coexistence. So the Bible calls us to do more than just coexist and get along. And perhaps that's a temptation in our day and age where we can sometimes all be kind of living life in our own quarter with our, with our own little family, our own little group, and uh, coexisting with other believers. But unity is stronger than that. Now, that kind of unity is a start, and we can't always take that for granted, but it's the kind of unity that I have with most of the neighbors on my street, for example, and it's not particularly praiseworthy. So Romans 15, verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to read you the Phillips translation of that same passage. It says, May the God who inspires men to endure and gives them a father's care give you a mind united towards one another because of your common loyalty to Jesus Christ. And then, as one man, you will sing from the heart the praises of God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, open your hearts to one another as Christ has opened his heart to you, and God will be glorified. I think this helps us move toward a definition of unity as we close off this first topic. So I'll attempt something here. Christian unity is a diverse group of people sharing their lives together intimately, working together for a common cause, so kingdom work, and with one voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the highest possible occupation of any human being. That's a great occupation indeed. And when you said that you've got that peaceful coexistence with most of your neighbors on your street, you can spare me a little bit, hopefully uh, nothing too violent going on with the other ones. But thanks for, bringing us, thanks for bringing us to that text of Romans 15. I love that text in Romans, Vince. I think it is the climax of the epistles teaching to a group of 
diverse people struggling with that Jew-Gentile harmony of which we are just speaking, how to live out the gospel and how that would make them a more united and stronger bastion of gospel testimony. Indeed. And that actually brings us right into our next subject, which is the context for unity, the church. So in God's eyes, and according to scripture, there is one church, the church which is his body. And then there are churches, local groups that are there to express the truth of our oneness in Christ. The very existence of denominations, and you and I know that there are many, it's a sign of our failure to achieve unity. Divisions occur, and then people conform to a group along the lines of a certain doctrine that they hold above all others, or perhaps according to cultural, racial, or socioeconomic groups. But the church's witness is most powerful when it transcends the natural groups and divisions that humans thrive on. When a local church embodies diversity in terms of age, gender, socioeconomic status, so rich or poor, and culture, while being marked by unity, the world takes note. Because there's no other community in the world that truly manages to do it. The only way it works, though, is if there is a center of attraction that is strong enough to overcome those massive differences without erasing them, ignoring them, or blending them together. So I think of Galatians 3 here in verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, did all the slaves in the Galatian church stop working? Did the differences between men and women cease to exist? Were the particular cultural customs of Jews and Greeks suddenly forgotten? Of course, no. The diversity was clearly still there. But they were eclipsed by a common identity as members of his body, as children of God. In fact, if we back up just a few verses to verse 26, we read, For in Christ Jesus you were all sons of God through faith. So that's that's the basis on which those differences become secondary. So Matthew, just a challenge here. Sometimes it is possible to have an artificial unity because possibly we've weeded out or we've kept out enough people that it just so happens that everyone here looks a lot like, well, me. (laughs) And this can happen consciously, but it can also happen, I believe, unconsciously and at a systemic level. So if I look at my community at large, Is the general diversity that exists in that community reflected in my local church? And if not, why not? These are questions to be prayerfully considered. Have you prayed that God would lead a greater and greater diversity of people into your local church? Or is it something that would just create too much friction and difficulty? That kind of worry, and let's be honest, we all have it deep down, myself included, It shows us that we think we're in charge of unity rather than it being a gift of the Spirit. That's that's a good way to put it. You're not pulling any punches today, Vince. And uh, what you've asked about our local church reflecting the ethnic or socioeconomic diversity of our community, I've thought about that too. I've been grieved as I've thought about it and our weakness in it. And I thank you for bringing that challenge to all of us today. They are words that we need to hear. It's funny how we sometimes miss that dimension as we read the epistles. There's so much about Jews and Gentiles needing to be together in the same churches and still get along, and sometimes we just don't see the parallels in our own time and place. I like this uh, way that Tim Keller described it in one of his books. He said 
about the unique role of the church in the world today, and I quote, the church is an alternate, an alternate society, not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. It is a holy, so distinct, set-apart nation, 1 Peter 2 and 9, a counterculture, a new society in which the world can see what family dynamics, business practices, race relations, and all of life can look like when the Spirit begins to heal all the effects of sin, psychological, social, and physical. In this sense, the Church must follow God's standards and directions and laws rather than the world's, and it shows the world what a new humanity should be. So I would ask you, listeners, how do you think of your local church? Is it mainly a book club for people who really like the Bible? Is it a social group for people who really get you in a way your friends at school don't? I would say good luck maintaining unity with such a low view. Have you ever thought of your church as a cultural, uh, sorry, a countercultural community within your community, the place you live? So a city on a hill, a community that operates totally differently and that would cause any observer to feel shock, to ask themselves questions, to be attracted, to want to hear what has brought this about. In John 13, verse 35, Christ himself said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. We can pile on gospel meetings for weeks on end, but the gospel doesn't generally go out in a vacuum. Before people's ears hear the gospel, their eyes see what kind of community the church is. Sadly, sometimes the only church people's eyes have seen is in the media headlines and the stereotypes presented in TV shows. As they witness your local assembly, what do they see? Do they see the diversity? Do they see the unity throughout that diversity? It may be that in our emphasis on individual salvation, which I'm not knocking by the way, that we forget sometimes that the people God is working with will look to the Christians they know and the local church where they are being presented with the message to see what this actually looks like once it's lived out. And unity is an essential part of that witness. At the risk of trivializing things, how can we expect how can someone be expected to believe this urgent message about eternal life and death when the people presenting it are fighting about the size and shape of Bible cases? I've purposely chosen a ridiculous example, but you can fill in the blank with other issues that are actually just as trivial in the grand scheme. Hey, now speaking as someone who likes to preach the gospel consecutively, can I safely assume you're not actually objecting to that, but your concern is the witness to gospel unity that lays behind or as a foundation to the church that is hosting that gospel preaching, right? That's right. If you think of a movie, there's a huge difference between watching in an IMAX theater or watching on your cell phone. The context changes the experience. When people hear the gospel presented in the context of a church, and I mean here the people, not really the building, the unity and the love that is displayed by those people, or not, will absolutely have an impact on how that message is heard by the audience. It will be the context in which they hear that message of the gospel. So this brings us to our next topic, which I've titled The Roadmap for Unity, which is the Acts and the Epistles. So if we turn to Acts chapter 2, we have a description of Pentecost, which I want to bring out something from here. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Good job, Vince. I was listening carefully to see how you did on pronouncing all those locales, and I think you were very accurate. Keep on going. <laughs> Thanks. There are over 15 geographical locations mentioned in this passage. Notice at, in, at verse 5, it said that they're from every nation under heaven. So God is telling us something about what the Spirit is going to do. We have almost a reverse Tower of Babel. If that story spoke of division and dissension, here we have the same Spirit, the same message for all nations, the same Christ being preached. We have a unification. And as we follow the narrative in Acts, the gospel goes out to the Jews, then to Samaria, then to the diaspora, so the Jews that are spread among the nations, and even to the Gentiles, which is really everyone else. The gospel moves out into the world, and it brings in more and more people. And it's always the same Holy Spirit in new believers. God is creating one family out of the many nations, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. We see what church life was and can still be today. Orphans, widows, rich merchants, men and women, Jews and Greeks literally sitting at the same table and eating together, something they'd never experienced or imagined doing before coming to Jesus. So the concept may seem a little less radical to us today than it did to them, because we pretend to be a very egalitarian society today. But the truth is, look at any high school cafeteria, or even a high school staff room for that matter, and you quickly see how naturally humans group themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting. And your Acts references make me think of a scene a little further on in Acts that I just love. It's Acts 14. Barnabas comes to Antioch and it says he saw the grace of God and was glad. And what he actually saw was Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians enjoying unity. And it says he saw the grace of God. That's Dr. Luke's spirit-given description of that scene. That's fantastic. And I think what you're saying right now is that that must be the grace of God because that isn't natural. That's right. It's not natural. And I think part of the brokenness that is brought in by sin is precisely this tendency to either divide or to unite around the wrong things. So just read the book of Genesis. I mentioned the Tower of Babel. It's an excellent example of that. But I want us to hear today that the Spirit is calling us to something deeper and something greater in Christ. Well, we want to hear more of that too, Vince. And I want us to think about it again in terms of challenges we're prone to face in a local church context. We are about at our time limit for the day, so I'm going to ask you to come back and record another episode with us. I know you've got more in your mind to share on this subject, but just before we go, I, I want to I, I want our listeners to think about what you were just saying, the, the danger, the tendency to divide or unite around the wrong things. So uh, let's just think as we wrap up here, what is a, a practical example of how we may do that today? So sometimes we might... Uh... We might divide over an issue. And again, I don't want to get into too many specific examples. You can kind of fill it in with your own, and we'll probably 
tackle some of them in the next podcast as well, but they can be social issues, things related to the pandemic, for example. They can be practical issues about how we gather, um, how things should be done, uh, you know, best strategies for sp spreading the gospel. It can be all kinds of things. And uh, easily we can, we can set up camps. There can be people that, you know, go to one team or to another. In Paul's day, people claim to be on, you know, Team Paul um, or other, other preachers of the gospel. Um, and so it kind of comes together, the dividing, but then re regrouping into other groups of people who believe the same thing I do about whatever that might be. And soon that becomes a primary identity. It becomes a, a gathering factor and we lose sight of what actually should gather us, what should hold us together, which is Christ himself. I don't know if that's as specific as what you're looking, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of, like, I don't want to be a local church here that, um, you know, we're all gathered together because we have the same view on whatever, conservative or liberal politics, mm -hmm. or uh, the same view on vaccines, or whether it's good to celebrate Christmas or something. You know, th those aren't, I think of Romans 14, you know, one man esteems a day above another and another man doesn't. And Paul says, the spirit of God says, both those views are okay. Don't let that divide you. So think That's deeply right. about what actually unites us. That's great. Thanks, Matthew. Okay. Well, thank you, Vincent. And we'll look forward to hearing you back on a soon coming episode again. Thank you to all our listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in today. This is a subject we need to think about more. So we hope you'll come back for the next episode. Thanks for being part of the Practicology podcast today. Mm -hmm.